Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Adventure Podcast. I have a really exciting, interesting episode for you today. Later in the episode, I have an interview with Shrians Bensali, one of the original members of the Venmo team. But first, I would like to talk about Seth Skerritt, who in 2008 had a lot of trouble finding clothes that fit him in stores. He'd end up getting bad fitting clothes because he couldn't deal with the store anymore. So he created a company called Proper Cloth. It fits your shirts by asking questions about your measurements and various other questions like height, weight, and then mails you the garments. But this has been getting some controversy because of one of the questions that they ask. So I have the website up right now. I'll read you some of the questions and we'll pause when we get to the controversial one. So I'm at the Proper Cloth website right now. So this specifically fits t-shirts for men. The first question that it asks is what size t-shirts do you typically wear? Ranges from extra small to extra extra large. I'll just make up a measurement, we'll say medium. Asks how tall you are. Typical question for anything fitting clothes. And then it moves on to how much you weigh. People typically know around how much they weigh. And then we get to the next question, which asks, which best describes your ethnicity? The choices are Asian, Black, Caucasian, Hispanic, or other, I'm not sure, skip. You're right. This is the controversial one. People aren't always sure why he wants to know your ethnicity for fitting a shirt when you're already giving him height, weight, and things like that. So... I've looked into the history a bit, and when he first began proper cloth, he just asked questions like your measurements, which people often get very wrong, and then he started adding in more questions to kind of help with this, like your height and weight, and then with all his test subjects, he realized the clothes fit better on Caucasians, and the alterations that needed to be made predictively change depending on what the race was. Um, So Asians typically had a different torso length than Caucasians. Same thing with other races as well. So he began asking on the website what best describes your ethnicity um, as another question to try and gauge how he should fit the measurements for people. And this is a problem. (laughs) A lot of people think this question is totally unnecessary, that it is making stereotypes, and that it's downright racist. So this made me start to think of other things I've seen where I wonder why they're asking me certain questions. When I was younger, I used to do a lot of sweepstakes with randomly chosen winners. And I was always curious why they asked me so many questions. I could understand age because if you needed to be 18 or older to enter, easy way to filter out anyone who actually isn't old enough to do it. But when they would ask gender and race, I never quite understood how that benefits me for them to know everything like that. Perhaps they want statistics of what people are entering their contest, but really it shouldn't make a difference on who wins with all that information. So I could never understand why they would ask it. This I get more honestly. I don't think he's saying that there's anything wrong with the different shapes of our body, and I don't think he's saying every single Asian has a body type like this, or every Caucasian has a body type like this. I think just what he's noticed is 
if he factors this in for more people, they'll get a better fitted shirt. I don't personally find this racist, but I would be really interested to find out what some other people think on this topic. What it comes down to for me is if you're asking a question, is there a way this will benefit me? And if not, you probably don't need to include that question. So I'm here with Strands Minsali. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited for our interview. Yeah, me too. Did I catch you on a busy day today? Uh, yeah, you know, these days, a, a lot of days feel a little bit busy. Not because we're working long hours, but there's like a bunch of new ideas we're dealing with. Uh, we're building and launching this new app and just learning a lot every day. So even if I go home at six, it, felt, it, it usually feels like it was an intense day. I'm, I'm loving it, though, right now. It's, it's a, I like this new challenge that we're facing. That's awesome. So let me give everybody a little background. So I found you on medium.com. I'm constantly on medium because I blog there too. And I found your article, what I learned at Venmo. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mentioned in the article? Sure. Uh, so I was the first employee at Venmo and I had a pretty fun, interesting educational, uh, three years there. And then I left the company and didn't spend a lot of time reflecting on like what I had gone through because I immediately started working on Socratic. So recently, I took a step back to think about like what was my time there like and what were the big things I learned. And it was kind of fun to reminisce and think back on some of the like the fun, crazy, scary educational stories that happened at Venmo. So yeah, I sat down and I wrote a little bit about my time there. Yeah, so you were the third person there, right? Besides the mm -hmm. founders, you were just the third one? Yep, that's right. And how did that happen? Um, that happened because I was really good college friends with the two founders. Um, so this happened many years after college, though, so I'll go into that just a little bit. Um, in college, I went, I went to UPenn. Uh, there's a lot of business stuff happening there. But there were like these two guys that I knew from freshman year who were always kind of on a different wavelength than other people. They were always like exploring something new and excited. They were excited about building something for people, which at the time at Penn was not like a very popular idea. The idea was like, let's go work at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> um, so these two guys, they were always like trying to build something cool and they were trying to have a really good time. So I always admired that about them. And we were also really good friends. So I, I, I ended up learning a lot about that attitude from them. But after college, uh, I moved. I became a consultant, classic UPenn move. Um, and then these two guys, they stayed on and they kept building things. And for a few years, a bunch of the stuff they built didn't work. But at some point, like four years after college, I think, they started working on a point of sale system for a yogurt shop. And through that, somehow, they discovered that like sending money between people, which should be so easy and it's such a common thing people do, it's actually really difficult. And they felt like they had, like, they felt this need very strongly, and they felt like they had the tools to build it. So they started prototyping, and, you know, a few months into their prototyping, I saw the product and immediately thought it was really cool, and it had a lot of potential. So, like, the earliest moment that they were able to hire someone, um, they, they asked me, and I was, you know, for years I thought it would be really fun to work with them at some point, and it just felt like a product that I got really excited about, so... 
the timing was perfect. And so I, I left my job as a consultant and started working on Venmo. So what did you do? What was your role at the company? Uh, you know, at the very beginning, my role was a little bit undefined because I'd studied computer science, um, but I hadn't programmed in a long time. So the, the role, the idea was that I would become an engineer, but going in, uh, I was a little bit worried, like, do I know enough and like, will I be able to pick it up? But, you know, once I got there, it, everything happened very quickly and I ended up being one of the main engineers on the back end for Venmo. I touched pretty much every part of the back end, um, fraud, payments, infrastructure, uh, built a lot of the website as well, built a lot of the API that powered the apps. So I ended up working on all parts of engineering. And, and over time, I started also like helping a lot of other newer engineers. So my role transitioned from being just like the a lead developer to being uh, a guide and like a teacher and manager for the newer people on the team. I find it really interesting that instead of maybe putting out ads and trying to find the best programmer that they thought, oh, like our friend can do it. Do you think it worked well working with your friends or do you think that was kind of a struggle because you don't always want to maybe speak up if it's your friend because you don't want to make them angry at you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's working with friends is a really interesting thing. And so like there's two parts to what you just asked. Well, the first one was, um, like, why did they want to work with a friend instead of going out and looking for, like, a really great person? I think there are, like, two different things going on. One is both the founders, they, I think they have a really good sense of, like, what kinds of people they really like and what kinds of people they trust. And, like, they can really sense potential in people, even if, like, the person hasn't fully expressed it. They're always looking for that sign, like is this person special? Is, like, is there something about this person that shows that they're like really excited to do something cool or they have like a creative mind or something? So they're always looking for that kind of person and they care a little bit less about like what companies have you worked at and they care a little bit more about like when, we're, when we hang out and we talk, like do you express that there's like something special happening in your mind? So I think that was one thing which like it's kind of weird for me to say but I think that's they really trusted me and they felt like I would grow to be somebody really valuable. Um, so that was one reason they wanted to work with me specifically. And I've seen them do this with other people that weren't their friends. They're like just looking for that something special. Um, as we're working with friends, I had received a lot of advice that I shouldn't do that or I should be a little bit wary of it. And some parts of it turned out to be true and some parts didn't. I think it's really important to be able to communicate well with the people you're working with. And as friends, like, we understood each other's style, and we could have very open discussions. And, like, when you can have that with a team, you can just do a lot more, and you can spot mistakes earlier. You can try bolder things. So that part of it worked out really well. The part that didn't work so well was it's also really easy to get argumentative with people you know well. And, like, they were my bosses, but I a lot of the time I would treat them like they were my peers, which led to me like just being a little bit more argumentative than I would have liked or that I would have been in a different circumstance. So, you know, it was easier for tensions to rise, but then they would also like fall back down really quickly. So yeah, there was a there were there were these two sides to it. Um overall, I think working with friends, I ended up having an incredible time. It was a lot of fun a lot of the time. And we could just be very open. So like the environment was one that I'm trying to foster now even though I'm not working with a bunch of people who are my friends, who are already my friends before. Yeah, I guess 
it depends on your friends too because now I'm kind of thinking of my friends and if I were doing something where I needed to hire people if I'd want to hire them and there's definitely some who are my friends but I can see they'd be very professional and I'd work really well with them and there's some where I'm like they make a great friend they're mm-hmm. a terrible co-worker <laughs> right yeah I think over time our relationship at Venmo became less that we were friends which was a sad thing at the time um we, we started developing more of a professional relationship over the few years that I was there, and we did start hanging out a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And once Venmo was over, uh, with one of the co-founders, like, I became much better friends a few months after it ended. But there was definitely a period where we were like, this is a work relationship, and let's make sure it stays very professional. Yeah, it can be hard to mix those. So as the mm-hmm. team was growing, did you have any part in picking out the next people to add to the team, or was that not really your department? Uh, we, like, a lot of the people who were on the, on the team were involved in interviewing and like vetting the people, but my role was largely building, and the founders did most of the recruiting, which I think made a lot of sense because they, like, like I said earlier, they have this ability to spot something special in people and they're like very good judges of character um so yeah they did they did that the the sourcing and i was involved in interviewing and just like thinking about what kinds of people we'd want on the team yeah that makes sense did they ever tell you any stories like oh yeah i was out at this bar or at the park and i found this person who'd be perfect for venmo oh that kind of stuff would happen all the time and like (laughs) It's one thing I mentioned in the article, like our biggest hiring success happened entirely through like bumping into somebody on the street. So Ikram, the one of the founders is always wearing a Venmo shirt and on the streets of New York, someone spotted him. And this was before we moved to New York and before really very many people used us. Some Columbia students spotted him, said, hey, I use Venmo. I love it. And they started talking and they hung out and went for drinks. And they really got along. And that one person they met on the street through his personal connections, we hired like six engineers. Oh, wow. Um, it was his, his roommate from college, his two other friends from college, his really good friend from high school. His friend from high school had just gone to hacker school. It was the first batch of hacker school. He brought a friend along as well. So like over the course of a few weeks, we went from like not even having moved to New York and having no office to having an office and having like six new engineers on the team, all of whom were amazing and stayed with the company for a long time. Wow, quite the Extremely change. lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that worked. Yeah, I always felt like those two guys, they had like, they, were, they would always get lucky in some really interesting and cool way. I mean, it's not always luck because they were like putting themselves out there a lot. Um, but like these kinds of interesting things, you know, there, were, there were lots of instances where like it felt like we just got really lucky and something worked out. That's, that's amazing. I have to walk around New York, I guess, find all these possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just go do lots of stuff. <laughs> so how did you get involved in Socratic, which you're working on now? Did you walk around New York or was this a friend of yours that you teamed up with? Um, this was also a very lucky uh, thing for me. So at Venmo, I, over time, I grew, the, like, I grew to understand that as an engineer, there's just infinite possibilities of the kinds of problems you could work on. Um, like I never felt that kind of like empowerment where I have a skill that I could use to do the kinds of things I really care about. So I, I basically learned that at Venmo. 
Um, so when I was approaching the end of my time there, I, I thought really hard about, like, well, if I can work on anything, what's the thing that I really do care about? Um, and for a long time, like from, you know, when I was much younger growing up in Asia, it, I had this idea in my mind that I got to where I am because I got really lucky and I got a really good education. And it seems like this root thing that if you can make a change there, you give people this ability in their life to solve a lot of other problems down the line for themselves and for others. So I decided I'd really like to work in education. Um, but I did not start with the idea that I wanted to start a company. I wanted to go find a small team um, that had a bunch of people that I liked, that I could have a big role in, and, and join a team. So I went, uh, I was looking for small education companies in New York, and I couldn't find that many, actually. I did find one. It was called Lore. Um, so I interviewed to be the head of engineering at Lore, and the person that interviewed me was the head of product, and we got along really well. It was like a really rare meeting where we could like communicate super clearly. We had the same style of like approaching problems. It just, it's really, it's hard for me to describe it. It, it felt like we'd been friends for a long time and it was like our first time meeting. Um, a couple of days later, he reached out. I thought it was about the, the job at Lore, but it turns out uh, he was ready to leave and he wanted to know if he thought we might be able to work on something together. And just based on that couple of hour conversation, it was clear that like I should not pass up on that opportunity. Like it's so rare to find somebody you connected so so well. So we immediately started um, thinking of a bunch of ideas in education together. Basically decided that we were going to work on something. Um, it was a few months from there that we ended up with a prototype that we could raise money off of. But it you know choosing to work together and like from meeting him in that interview to like starting to experiment on stuff together, it was like a week. Um, so yeah, it was a very lucky thing for me uh, how I ended up working with Chris on Socratic. Does kind of sound like you get a bit lucky. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel fair. <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in Vegas, so if you want to come play some slot machines <laughs> with me, <laughs> yeah, I'm down. <laughs> so you should tell us a bit more about Socratic. If you had to give a mission statement, what would you say it's about? Um, our mission is to help the struggling students who go to the internet and look for help and end up spending a long time trying to find something that helps them. So, I mean, pretty much every student we've talked to in high school and college regularly, daily, goes to Google and types in a question. But the kind of help they need doesn't really exist. They end up mainly looking at Yahoo Answers or reading a very complicated page on Wikipedia. So from the beginning of Socratic's existence, our mission has been, has been to help that student when they're struggling. Um, we've gone through a, a couple of changes. So first, our, our product was a Q&A community, and it still is a Q&A community, um, kind of like Stack Overflow, but for uh, specifically for high school and college education. Over the last year, we've been putting a lot more effort uh, and focus on the mobile experience which is much more of a consumption experience than uh, creating content. And it works pretty differently, um, though for the same users in the same moment, it works a little bit differently. Uh, what we do basically is we let you take a picture of a question, we read what that question is, and find the best stuff that exists on the internet. Uh, but also we try to distill down the question into like the few concepts you really need to understand in order to answer it, and also show you content for that. 
So it's a it's kind of like having a tutor that's free and always available in your pocket. You give it a question and we find like the best stuff that we can to help you learn how to answer that. Yeah, that sounds really useful. Um, it sounds very individualized. I have a background in education, so we were always very much stressed that you have to individualize it to different students. Are you working with any teachers or anybody with education backgrounds? Yeah, we work, uh, well, one, we work with a lot of people in our community who have been teachers for a long time. There's a lot of retired teachers in our community, a lot of uh, current teachers, as well as grad students who've been TAs. So our community is a lot of different people who've taught in lots of different settings. Um, so they create a lot of our content, and they've helped us figure out like what good teaching content really looks like. We also have somebody who works on our team. His name's Tyler. He's um, probably one of the best chemistry video makers on YouTube. Uh, his videos are just amazing at taking something complicated and presenting it in a really simple, engaging way. He's like just a master storyteller. Uh, and he's helped us a lot with like figuring out what kinds of content you really need and what kind of content doesn't exist out there yet that'll really make teaching a particular idea easy. So with all these team members, retired teachers, everything like that, how did this team grow? How did you find the people that you wanted to work with? So, like I said, Chris was leaving this company, Lore, uh, when, we, when we started working together. Uh, a few months after he left, the company got acquired uh, slash shut down. Um, and the entire team was basically looking for a new job. And they had grown to really like Chris and trust him. So... Uh, very early in the life of the company, we were able to hire an engineer and designer who have been with us ever since um, to join the company. Uh, since then, the the hires have not been through networks as much. Um, I guess over time, we've, we've met a lot of people along the way who are really excited about the mission, who believe that t teaching and learning on the internet should be a lot easier and that there is a big role for a community of people in creating that. So we've just, over time, found a bunch of you know, like-minded people who've been excited about joining this, uh, this mission. Yeah, I think if you have a strong vision for something, then a lot of times people seek you out because they want to be part of that. Right, yeah, and I, you know, I definitely think if you're working in education or healthcare, um, or it's a product that like, makes your personal life very easy, or like makes a big difference in your personal life, like Venmo. Like a lot of people really like want to work on those things, and you end up having an advantage in hiring. Even at Venmo, I feel like a lot of people just really loved using the product personally and wanted to work on it because it, it made their life easier, uh, and that was a huge advantage. Yeah, I mean, any product should be filling a need. Like, it should be filling a need that somebody needs to do, and the best way to do that is to think of what would be useful for yourself to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the challenges of working on Socratic. Like we've all been out of high school for a long time, so it's you know it's been a big focus, and we spend a lot of time like making sure we don't entirely forget or we're not disconnected from the high school experience, and we make sure we we know exactly who we're building for and why. So we have some high school kids that come to our office uh, a couple of times every week. Uh, they just come here and do their homework, and they're available for us uh, to talk to, to user test. Um, we also just, we, there's a couple of high schools nearby, so whenever we have a new thing we're testing, like we go out and 
like hang out in front of the school and like show it to a bunch of students to understand like whether this actually makes sense for them. So it's, it is very different than working on Venmo where we use the product personally every day. Um, and if you're going to work in education, I think it's, it's really important to like develop some kind of system that keeps you in touch with your audience. And so like one thing I'm, I'm doing now is um, we have a separate Instagram account that is only following the things that kids in high school follow. And it's just a very different Instagram experience than I'd had over the last few years. And it's very, very eye-opening. So what are kids in high school following right now? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff that's like really, like, I guess the words that stick out in my mind are like funny and fast and relatable. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just like lots of memes about like moments that all of us have experienced just like just distilling it down to like a couple of pictures and one really short sentence. And I just find that I, I find it like just an amazing art form. I have pers- I love it personally. <laughs> so that, that's one side of it on Instagram. The other is there's like all these YouTube creators that, they, that uh, my cousins and the kids we talk to follow. And even there, it's like all like fast, funny. There's like a, a different aesthetic. Um, it's like colorful and um yeah, there's just, it's like bright and popping and like, and fast, you know, I have, I have trouble putting it into words. I'm still like trying to find the right words for it. Um, but it's actually very entertaining for me to follow all these things. And <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a little too into it, I think. And that counts as part of your work. You're like, oh yeah, you guys, I need <laughs> yeah. to look at these memes. It's really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was basically yesterday. <laughs> Do you find that you get good feedback when you talk to the different high school students? Do they catch things where you would have been like, oh, I, had, I didn't know we should look into that? Oh, yeah, it's constantly surprising. I mean, there have been lots of things that we thought were that made a lot of sense that they'd look at or they just like ignore or wouldn't notice. And then, I mean, we've over the, the last few months, we've learned a lot of things about how they use their phones very differently. Um, things like keeping their brightness all the way down because they're trying to save battery power or like deleting any app that they haven't used recently just because they're trying to save space. So like all these like physical constraints on the phone that I never thought about are very much on high school students' minds. Like how much data does this use? How much battery power does this use? Um, Also like there'll be like subtle features in the app that they wouldn't pick up on and they don't care about and there'll be other things that like if you if you use like an app like Snapchat or you now, there's all these gestures that they don't ever tell you those things exist. You just find out about them and then that becomes a very natural way to use things. And like that wasn't obvious to us that you, you could design an app like that. Um, so we're constantly learning and being surprised by how students use phones and how they approach products that is very different than how we think about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. You can't just think back to when you were in high school because it was different. Everything with phones and technology changes so quickly. Yeah, I mean, smartphones did not exist when I went to high school. So, yeah, that was a while ago. (laughs) So I know that your team does a lot of traveling. When you do that, are you communicating with students or are the travels more about building company community and team building? Yeah, the, the trips are really very much about uh, it's like about us as a team and about and about us as a company. Um, every time we've gone on a trip, we've done three of these uh, trips where we've gone away for anywhere from two weeks to a month to a different country, and we've always thought that it would be cool to go visit a school. But 
in the end, like that's not the priority while we're there. The things that we think the team the team trips are really valuable for there there's two main things. One is there's a a lot of stuff that like we do day to day that we know we have to do and they're a part of our goals. Um, and we know that this mission we're working towards, but the team trip is a really good opportunity to like step out of our day-to-day work and just to think like we could be doing anything we wanted to serve our mission right now. Are we sure we're doing exactly what we should be doing? And if we're not, how do we turn the ship a little bit so that we're pointed in the, the, the direction we now think is, is the right one? So the first team trip we did, which was uh, we went away to Brazil for a month, our product was not a Q&A community at the time. It was a collection of videos, and that's what we raised our seed round on. What, on the trip, we grew to realize that there's a bunch of things about the video product that aren't working, and we really need like original text content, and a lot of it to surface on Google to be like a good SEO property. And that trip was when we prototyped that product, and like over the course of a month, we basically stopped thinking about the video product and pretty much built the first versions of our Q&A product. We also experimented with a bunch of stuff and ideated on things that became useful a year later. So like, it really like step out of what you're doing day to day and like think big. And recently, uh, last month, we, we did a trip um, where we spent a lot of time thinking about the mobile app and really pushed our technology and our design and our understanding of that space way further than we had done in like the months before. So that's one really great thing about the trip, like just step outside of your day-to-day and like think big. It sounds like on your trips, sometimes you make pretty big changes and big decisions. Do you think mm-hmm. you owe that more to the change of scenery or the fact that you're spending so much time with these people that it's almost like a family and you're very close and new ideas are coming out? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about what enables us to do that. I think we generally as a team have a mindset of don't fall in love with the product. Just like make sure you're in love with the mission and the users. So like our goal is to help these struggling students when they're going on the internet looking for help and the product might change, but we're always going to be serving that mission. So like we generally have that philosophy, but I think going on the trip is like kind of a hack to like pushing on, it gives us the space or like it feel, it makes us feel like we're in the right environment to do anything because we're not in our office, we're not in our city. There's no rules that we follow in day-to-day life that we have to follow there. And like it kind of extends into how we think about work. There's no rules that we have to follow while we're there. Um, just because it was, it was our goal in the past to build this specific feature doesn't mean it has to be while we're on the trip. So like it just gives us this space to think very freely. Um, and we do also spend a lot of time on the trips, like getting to know each other as a, as a team and like to become better friends and to feel more like a family. Um, and I think they're like, it just helps us really be open with each other about what we're thinking, what we're worried about, what we don't buy. I think it's really important what you mentioned, how the kind of vision and main goal is always in everyone's mind and stays the same because I feel like a lot of times that can get lost. People do get really absorbed in the product they're working on and they have to do a lot of backtracking to remember what the whole purpose was. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, that's a really important point. Um, we've thought about that a lot and we've, and we've addressed it through this lens of storytelling where uh, in any meeting or any presentation, it's like important for us to have 
one person who's who's leading it. And for them to start the meeting by like giving everyone some shared context, even if it's a little bit repetitive, it's like we start by telling a story about why we're trying to solve the problem we're solving in that meeting. So like, as we all know, this is our goal. For this goal, we, you know, we decided at some point that this is what we were going to do. In order to do this thing, we've realized that this is the main problem. And now we're talking about how do we solve this problem. So like that really quick storytelling and context setting at the beginning, it like reminds everybody of our shared purpose. It also is it like a, a way to make sure that we're not approaching that problem from different angles. Like a really important thing in any discussion is to make sure that you and the person you're talking to like agree on why you're talking and what you're talking about. So like reminding ourselves of the goal and the mission at the beginning is like is is like that's a really good way to start that process in every meeting. That's that's a really good idea. I think that makes a lot of sense. So from your experience at startups so far, is there any thing that maybe you weren't doing before that now you find really important? Any advice you'd give for people who are just first beginning in startups? Um, yeah, that's a difficult question, and there's lots of different ways I could answer that. So let me let me give it a little bit of thought. Oh, of course. One thing I think a lot about is just, like I said, I was referring to a little while ago, is like thinking about goals uh, is really important. Thinking about like why you're working on what you're working on, um, making sure like the incentives that you have for yourself like match the incentives of the the situation you're in. Um, just being like really thoughtful about why you're doing what you're doing, because um, it's it's really easy to end up staying at a company a few years longer than you want, or working on a product that you don't really care about and like not excelling as a result of that. Um, or you know, working on a in a space that if you care about education, like working at an education company, even if you're not really sure that that company is going to achieve the right kind of outcome that you care about. So just like I think it's really important for me to be very thoughtful about like why am I doing this? Making sure that I know that if this is the thing I care about, that Socratic is the right place for me to achieve that. And if it's not, like, how can I make it that kind of place? So that, that's one thing I, I definitely think a lot about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of increasingly have this sense in my mind that, you know, like, life is short and we're filled with potential, especially if you're, like, I mean, uh, my perspective, like, if you're an engineer in a big city in America, there's so much opportunity that there's basically no risk in our lives, you know, if you're in this segment of the population, like, I know I'm never going to be unemployed, or at least for not for a long time. So, like, realizing the privilege that I have really helps me, like, maximize my potential, because it, it, it makes me feel comfortable that even if I take this thing that looks, like, do this thing that looks risky, there isn't really that much risk. And there's just so much to gain from trying, trying big things that, like, that, that's a thing that's, like, I, I think about constantly, like, I'm very lucky to be here. Things are not going to go that badly no matter what. So let me just try to do something amazing. I think that's really important. I've definitely had moments where I'm like, everything's going wrong. And then I have to pause and be like, okay, is it really as bad as I think? And think of all the possibilities that there really are out there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of us are li- living, you know, very lucky lives. So it's good to recognize that. Absolutely. Is there anything we didn't cover today that you just feel very urgently you'd like to share? Um, hmm. Yeah, one thing that's been on my mind, and I think like uh, somewhere I saw, you know, the kinds of things you like to talk about on this podcast, like marketing is one of them. And something that's been on my mind lately is I've neglected for many years to like thinking about how important marketing is. Um, and like, I just hadn't really appreciated like what marketing means and like what the value of it is. And and recently, as we've been thinking about launching this app, that that has become a big thing on my mind. And I'm just starting to realize like how much of an art and craft it is, and like you know how deep it is, and like how much value you can generate for your company and for the world by thinking about marketing. And like a lot of that's thinking about what is the story we're telling, who are we telling it to. And like making sure that's really clear just makes so much of product development clearer. And just like thinking about what is our unique position in our users' lives? Is there one? Is there a reason they really will care about us? And like all of that falls under marketing, and that stuff just feels so important to think about. So yeah, that, that's that's been a big thing on my mind that I'm, I'm learning is we were always a product and engineering focused company and and now we would like marketing to be like another thing that we excel at. I always find marketing really fascinating. It's interesting because there's a bunch of different angles, a lot of ways you can do it. But I think what you were saying about the story is really important. No matter if you're advertising online or what kind of angle you're taking, I think there should always be a story behind it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think I think when you have a vision, like we were talking about before, I think that's the best way to know how your story started and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to tune in next time. I have a lot of exciting things coming up for you.